Welcome to First Wednesday at Citizens Youth. Let's go. You guys have done a wonderful job so far. You've brought the energy. I love it. You've invited a few new friends. Excited to see that. That is awesome. Hey, my name is Noah. I help lead our youth ministry here at NGC. And if it's your first time here, if someone like today at class was like, dude, you should come hang out with me at church. And you're like, why? That sounds weird. But you did it anyway. Welcome. I'm so glad that you joined us tonight. And I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to hear about your story. I'd like to get to know you a little bit more. So come up and say hey after the gathering. And uh, if you are a regular attender, I'm also very glad to see you. And man, flannel night, let's go. I'm very hot up here in this flannel already. And so we'll see how this sermon goes. I'm not going to take it all. I'm just going to keep it and just see how much I sweat. But, you know, it's going to be all right. We're all going to get through this together. So what was the consensus? Thanksgiving or Halloween? Let's do this. We're going to take a vote. If you like Halloween more, let me hear you. No, no, no. I need to hear you. Hear you. Okay. Now, if you like Thanksgiving more, let me hear you. Clear winner. Clear dub goes to Thanksgiving. I also would vote for Thanksgiving. Very, very much a big Thanksgiving fan. Um, First of all, when you're an adult, you don't get to take Halloween off. I know you don't either for school, but for Thanksgiving, you actually get time off to hang out with your family, which is way better. And there's tons of food. And you can actually get nutritional value from the food that you're eating instead of the candy. So there's a couple factors here. But um, okay, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. We are learning all about a guy named... Uh, we're learning all about a guy named... A guy named Joseph, and Joseph has had an amazing life so far. That was a joke. Uh, Joseph is a man that God chose to use as a mechanism uh, for his deliverance, for his people. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. The Bible is actually a bunch of books and letters and poetries all together inspired by God. Uh, If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. But Genesis is the first chapter of the whole Bible, and we're continuing on in this story about Joseph. And Joseph has experienced a few trials uh, so far. This is now the third time, the third week specifically, that we're mentioning the fact that Joseph is in prison wrongfully, right? We learned the first week that he was uh, given a vision by God to have the sun, moon, and stars bow down to him, meaning God had a big plan for him. Uh, God had given him a vision for his life that was going to involve lots of power and influence, and that didn't happen. There was a awkward pause, right? There's a record scratch in the story, like what? Like uh, Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. Now, Joseph continues to um, serve the Lord with faithfulness, uh, but even as he rises through the ranks as a servant, he's wrongfully accused and ends up back in prison. Then in prison, he's continuing to do the things that God told him to do. He asked this one guy who he helped out a ton, hey, could you just mention me to Pharaoh and just let him know that I'm down here? And he didn't do that yet. Joseph's continuing in the pit. He's waiting patiently for the Lord. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. But that hasn't happened for Joseph yet. If I was to take a poll in this room and I would say, what is like your favorite things, right? What do you love? What do you love doing? All right, a lot of people might say, I love food, right? A lot of people, right? Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. A lot of people are like, dude, I love food, love it. 
If I were to ask your favorite activity, you might be like, dude, I love, uh, I don't know, what do kids like doing? I love Fortnite, bro. All right, got to give the middle school boys a shout out. Uh, you, know, you know, I realize you guys don't play Fortnite anymore. I've been using that analogy for like five years as a youth pastor, and I should just let it go because you guys don't play anymore. I do, but you don't. Anyway, maybe like playing video games, whatever video games you're playing these days. All right, if we were to take, a, you know, a, a wide survey in this room, there's a lot of things that we love doing. Now, how many people in this room would put waiting at the top of the list of things that you love to do. That was, that, was, that was not accurate. That was not true. How many would say, out of a list of things I love doing, man, waiting is at the top of the list. When I get to go to an amusement park, I'm not even excited for the rides. I'm excited to be in the lines. Right? This is awkward, right? They're like, no one likes this. Man... Nobody likes waiting, all right? Anyone in the room fan of waiting, pro waiting, pro patience? I'm a, I'm a just stellar at it. Uh, we live in a day and an age where patience has completely been obliterated. And I think patience, specifically patience in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, believing that in the Lord's timing, he will move and do uh, something awesome in your life has been completely rooted out of our lives. That thinking has just been obliterated. That thinking is gone and our spiritual lives are in danger because of it. Patience is something that God has blessed us with. Waiting for God, for him to move, for him to work, for him to do something, that's not just like an unnecessary, that's just not like an unnecessary or like, well, I guess I have to do it step. Uh, that is much of the Christian life is patience. Much of the Christian life and much of growth that we experience in our lives is in seasons of patience. And we live in a day and an age where, man, like if you put popcorn in the microwave and it's like two minutes and 15 seconds, I don't know about you, but I'm like pulling out my phone for that two minutes and 15 seconds, right? I'm like, what YouTube video can I find right now that is going to help distract me while my popcorn's popping? Does anyone, right? Don't leave me up here on stage. Come on. I don't have TikTok, but if I did, I'm sure that would be the go-to, right? We've completely eliminated patience out of our spiritual lives. And we have to wait for things all the time. Right? Okay, so they just announced that Hugh Jackman's coming back as Wolverine, right? That's awesome. And I was like, this is amazing. When's it come out? And they're like, 2024. And I was like, what? I'm not going to wait that long, right? Does anyone feel that way? You saw that trailer. I was so excited. I'm not condoning watching Deadpool. So just if your parents say I did, I didn't say that. I'm just telling you a fact that Hugh Jackman's going to be in a Deadpool movie in two years. And I don't know if I have the patience to wait for that. I saw a band this week with a couple friends. Uh, Zach is in the room. We went to a concert together on Monday? Monday, okay. This band I listened to all throughout middle school and high school, and they had broken up. And I was like, I'm never going to see them ever. They announced a reunion tour in, get this, February of 2020. They're like, we're going to do a reunion show this year. And I was like, yes, right? I was so excited. And it was postponed, not once, not twice, but three times. And I just saw them for the first time in 25 years the other day, and it was awesome. I was very excited for that. Patience is a valuable part of our lives. We must be patient. And Joseph is waiting here in the pit for the Lord to deliver him. Genesis 41, verse 1. We start off with more time. After two whole years, whoa, more waiting, more waiting in the pit. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Remember, this is in Egypt. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. 
And uh, he's having this dream. Uh, dreams are a very important part of the story of Joseph. All right? I don't know if you picked up on that already. I don't know if it's in the title for a reason, but it is. And behold, there came up from the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. Right? I read that and I kind of was like, that's really a funny way to say it. But yeah, okay, it's just the Bible. It's just the Bible, guys. Come on. No laughing. And there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. You know when you see cows and you're like, that cow is attractive and plump. <laughs> you know how you do that when you drive by cows? We have 42 verses. We are not, gonna, we are not in a good spot tonight, friends. Verse 3, it says, And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin. Boo. So we have attractive and plump cows. Yay. And we have ugly and thin cows. Boo. And seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them. What? What's going on with the cows in this dream? And stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. Yeah, whoa, crazy dreams. You've had dreams, right? You've, everyone in this room has had a dream at one, once or twice. Some wacky stuff happens in dreams. But this is a dream that we're going to see has a purpose and a reason. So Pharaoh wakes up from the stream, and then verse 5 says, And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven years, seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning... His spirit was troubled, and he sent, and he called out for the magicians of Egypt and his wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but none could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer, do we remember this guy? We learned about him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. That's a, he's showing humility because he was in prison a little bit ago. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me the chief, and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged, right? He just kind of throws that in there at the end. We have an anxious king here who's having dreams. This is our first point. We have an anxious king on our hands. This is one of the most powerful people on the planet at the time that this uh, incident took place, and he's greatly distressed. He's waking up from these dreams. He's calling for magicians. He's calling for wise men. He's calling for his wise counselors and advisors uh, to come help him out with these dreams. And nobody's giving him an answer. Nobody is giving him an answer. You know why? Because if somebody gave an answer that didn't turn out to be right, yeah, this guy does not want to step up. Nobody wants to step up and say, and nobody knows what the interpretation is. You know, this guy has like an unlimited, like he has unlimited power. He's got a massive army and he's waking up in the middle of the night and like sweating and like freaking out a little bit. We have an anxious king on our hands. Joseph's in prison. The king's scratching his head wondering, what are these things about? What I think is ironic about this story, what I think is ironic about this specific part of this story is that Pharaoh and all the rulers over Egypt in this day would have been considered to the Egyptian people uh, deity and gods. 
all pharaohs, all kings that would have ruled in Egypt would have been considered gods. The people would have looked up to them like they were gods. What kind of a god wakes up in the middle of the night like super nervous about a dream? What kind of a god like needs other people to tell him what's going on and they can't and then he's really sad about it? What kind of a God uh, is unsure about what to do with the things that he is seeing, right? Of course, we know he's not a God. He's just a guy of an ancient civilization that is extinct now. See, what I think God is doing in this story is he is showing how man uh, is infallible. Man doesn't know everything. Man isn't perfect in everything. Man doesn't see beyond this moment right now. We can remember the past. We can't see the future. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can barely think straight when I'm like awake and present with other people. Um, man is man and God is God, right? Write that down. That was theologically correct. Man is man, God is God. And there is a distinction here between earthly rulers and the kingdom and the king of kings who is ruling over all of the earthly kingdoms. What kind of a God wakes up in the middle of the night in a nervous sweat? I believe that this moment, God is highlighting a critical theme in the story. Man is fallible. We cannot see the future. We do not know what's going on. We could wake up tomorrow to a new story that completely shocks us. We don't know what the future holds. We could have moments and decisions where we have to think through what's the best uh, next step for me in my life? Uh, who are the people I should be around? What college should I go to, right? And we can get so overwhelmed with all the possibilities before us that we can't think straight. And that's what's happening to Pharaoh right here. We know as Christians and as people in the room thousands of years later that there's one true God. And this one true God has never once ever fallen asleep and he's never been nervous about anything. And that's the God of the Bible, that's the God uh, that we serve and we worship. He's in charge of everything. He knows everything. And the narrator and, and scripture as a whole is creating a distinction here. An anxious king who has no idea what is going on. The text is setting the stage for God's victory, the true God, his victory to prevail in this situation and deliver out his people. While wise men and magicians scratch their heads in confusion, God's story is unfolding and he is not worried one bit. That's what's happening here in this moment. He's showing that human rulers ultimately all report to God, even if they don't know it. Everyone with a position of power or authority, anyone who has any title that is worth anything, still has to answer to God. You might meet like some really important people in your life, but they still have to answer to God. And ultimately, at the end of the day, all of us are subject to whatever God is going to do. And he's going to use uh, his servants for his good pleasure. Look at this in Proverbs uh, chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. God is ultimately in charge in this story, right? It's not Pharaoh, it's not Joseph, it's not Joseph's brothers, it's nobody other than God. He is the one uh, who is controlling this story. He's the one bringing Joseph out of the prison as we're gonna see here in a minute. He is the one who is writing Joseph's story. Earthly kings are always subject to God's rulership. And Joseph ultimately serves a king 
who is uh, perfect, who has never been worried, who knows the future, and who controls the future. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then so do you. You also serve a God. You also know a God. You also have communion with a God who has everything under control, even when you don't, even when we don't, even when the people who are out to protect you and are out to lead you are anxious and don't know what's going on. God ultimately always does. And that is what's happening in the beginning of this specific passage. Uh, I like how the cupbearer kind of gets his memory back here. Anyone notice that? Like he forgot last week. Does anyone remember that part of the story? Joseph like is like, hey, remember me? And the cupbearer is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say anything about it. And then two years later, right, Pharaoh's in a difficult spot. And he's like, you know, okay, so there, there, there was this Hebrew guy who was with me. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that you're having dreams that you don't know what's happening because I had the same thing happen. And actually, this guy's still alive, right? Uh, do you see how there are no coincidences in God's story? There are no coincidences. There's only providence. And God is uh, orchestrating this story in his time for his good, for a purpose. Look at verse 14. We're going to read a lot of verses here. So follow along with me. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, and he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret them. I've heard it said that you, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, there it is again, came out of the Nile, and they fed on the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin such as I had never seen in the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. When they had eaten them, no one, uh, when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as the beginning. So he's saying these skinny cows ate the big cows, but then they were still skinny. They're still ugly. And he's like, what does this mean? Then I awoke. And also in my dream, Seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And then the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And And I told the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. All right, so he tells the dream again. And then Joseph says this. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. All right, he's saying there's a correlation between these two very similar dreams. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years, and the seven good ears are seven good years. Try saying that 10 times fast. The dreams are one. The seven uh, lean and ugly cows that came after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of what? Famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, there will arise seven years of famine. So he's saying there's going to be seven years of prosperity. You guys are going to have so much food. You're going to have so much wealth. It is going to be awesome. But then after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of nothing. Famine, meaning nothing's growing Um, The water supply is dried up. We have 
no way of growing our own food. That's what a famine is. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by the reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of, Pharaoh dream, uh, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So he interprets this dream correctly. He tells him what it is, and now he's going to tell him what to do. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a, uh, a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt <clears throat> so that the land may not perish through the famine. Here we have Joseph summoned to the king to serve. Joseph is summoned from prison to serve. All right, imagine that knock on the cell door. He's like, hey, hey, uh, Joseph, He's like, yeah. He's like, hey, I got a meeting for you. And he's like, all right, cool. Who's it with? He's like, uh, ever heard of this guy, Pharaoh, the guy who's in charge of the whole land? And he's like, oh my gosh. Right? And so he shaves, he gets all ready, and then he uh, approaches the king, and he is able to correctly interpret this dream. There are seven years that are coming that are going to be awesome. More food than we've ever seen before. And then after those seven years, it's not looking too good. And so Joseph comes up with a quick plan right there, of course, inspired by the Lord. Hey, take a little bit every single year, almost like a tax on the prosperity we have, and reserve the rest for later to bring us through this entire 14-year stretch of prosperity and famine. Joseph summoned to serve. Think about this. At this moment, Joseph could have been vindicated by explaining his situation. This guy's been in prison for 11 years, we saw. He's 30 now, so he's been in a total of 11 years in Potiphar's house, and prison. And now he's standing before the one person who can make everything right, and he doesn't even plead his case whatsoever. He listens to the interpretation, and he responds with what? What did he say? We saw what he said. He said, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. He also says in verse 16, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer, meaning God's going to answer you, and it has nothing to do with me. It's not my skill. It's not my knowledge. It's not what I've been brought to do. It is God, and God is going to give this answer to you. He is faithful in prison, and he is faithful in the palace. That's what Joseph is. This is a true testament of his character. And again, we don't look at scripture and Bible characters, and we look to them and say, hey, be just like Joseph. But like, Oh, Joseph's doing a lot of cool stuff, but of course the ultimate victor in the story is, is God. Uh, but Joseph is so consistent. He's in the prison and he interprets these dreams. He's serving these men. And then he is brought out of prison to serve the most powerful man in the entire world possibly at this point. And he does the same exact thing. This gives us an insight into servanthood. Servants don't choose when or where they prefer to serve. Servants don't choose when to serve based off the rewards that they're going to get. Servants don't like really like try hard when, 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 when people are watching them and they could receive some sort of affirmation, but then when they're not in those situations, they don't do that. Servants remain 
consistent. And people who are called to serve God have to be faithful with every single thing that God has placed before them. And we see Joseph is faithful in the prison and now he's faithful in the palace. He's not trying to vindicate himself. He's not trying to explain his story. He simply does exactly what God is calling him to. This is how we should serve. With spirit-empowered boldness, this man steps before Pharaoh and he uh, only professes truth from God. This is a confidence that Joseph has, not from man. To stand before the most powerful man in the world takes confidence, right? This is a spirit-empowered confidence that only comes from a trusting of God. All right, the reason Joseph can stand before Pharaoh with such confidence is because he trusts and knows and believes that God is going to be the one who delivers them, that God is the one who is empowering him, that God is the one who has brought him to where he's at right there in that moment. When the Lord is your strength and confidence, people are just people, no matter how powerful they are. When the Lord is your strength and your confidence, people are just people. No matter who they are, no matter who they profess to be. There's no fear of man. There is only a desire to uh, be approved by God. This is a charge for us to be servants. Be a servant. Look for ways to advance the kingdom. Be a servant. Don't look for your own glory. Be a servant. Don't look for the approval of man. Be a servant. Trust in God's timing. Trust that you don't need to give up when it's hard. Be a servant. Point to God no matter what. You know, Joseph uses his time in prison to point to the one true God. Right? And it's just two dudes, maybe a few other guys in this prison, right? Now he's in front of the most powerful man in the world who has the most extreme influence. And he also uses what? His influence in this moment to profess the truth of God. For it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable interpretation. God is the one who is leading Joseph throughout everything. Notice how in this interpretation, there is destruction that's coming. There is pain that's coming. There is difficulty that is coming. But God doesn't just reveal that this is happening. He reveals these things to Joseph, to Pharaoh, so that he would protect his people. Notice that. God doesn't just say, hey, uh, a bunch of bad stuff are really going to happen. No, God uses Joseph very strategically in this moment, in this time, in this place, perfectly, to then be a mechanism to do something about the impending doom that's to come. I mean, seven years of famine in one of the most like central points of the Near East world right here is going to destroy everything, right? It would throw off like the, it would throw off everything. But God is using Joseph in this moment. He's preparing him to deliver his people. Joseph is summoned to serve. Even in the face of impending destruction, the Lord provides a means of rescue. This destruction could have been devastating for everyone, but the Lord is still at hand. The Lord's at hand in this story. I mean, think about this, right? So many coincidences, right, are leading up to this moment. Joseph gives his two cents. He says, this is what I think you should do. Uh, What happens to Joseph? All right, thanks for helping. You can go back to prison now. Awesome, thanks for helping. Um, Yeah, thanks for the advice. You can go. What does he say? This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? 
powerful verse from somebody who would have believed in like 10,000 gods. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have said to you, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called before him, bow the knee. Thus he sent him over all of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. Without your consent, none shall lift up your hand or your foot in the land of Egypt. Joseph is promoted to rule. He's summoned to serve, and now he is promoted to rule over as the second in command over Egypt. The guy was in prison 20 minutes ago, and Pharaoh's like, you know what? I really like this guy. Would you like to be in charge of everything? (laughs) It's crazy. It's this insane moment. Do you think at this moment, Joseph's riding in this chariot and people are bowing down before him and he's thinking, maybe that's what that dream was about. Maybe God's showing me exactly what he had for me, even though there was so much of my life that I didn't enjoy. Maybe God's still with me right now as I rule the same as he was when I was in prison. Maybe God's always been preparing me for something more. Maybe God's been approving my work. Maybe God's been with me in prison. Maybe God's been refining me. Maybe God's been showing me that there's more in store. This is how God works. Patience is essential. Patience is critical. Oftentimes we sin not as a matter of desire, but a matter of desire in our own time, right? God, I want this and I want this now, right? Uh, God, I, I, I have these desires and I'm going to do what I want to make sure I get them. No, patience is essential. And now Joseph is summoned to rule over many people. He's promoted to rule. What does the story show us? God's servants are faithful with a little so that they can be trusted with much. God's servants are faithful with a little so that they can be trusted with much. Think about this. There are no such things. There is no such thing as big things with God. With God, there are only small things. Think about this. If I were to like pull out a piece of paper and I said, hey, draw something bigger than God for me. Could any of you do that? If I gave you 20 minutes and said, come up with a story about someone who's more powerful than God. Could you do it? No, okay, if I gave you an opportunity to explain why, why, why you thought you were better than God, right? You couldn't do that, right? Because God is the greatest being of all time. And to God, there's no such thing as big things. There's only things that are below him. Now to us, there's tons of big things, right? There there, there are positions that are higher than ours. There are people who have more authority than us. There's callings that seem to be very great, but to God, it's all the same. And so God's servants have to be faithful with the little things, quote unquote, that he gives you. God's people are faithful in the prison and in the palace. God's people are faithful no matter their circumstances. God's people aren't looking for a platform. God's people are looking to be faithful. There's faithfulness and obedience 
or there's laziness and disobedience. That's really it with God. He calls you to do things. He calls you to serve. What are you doing with the little things that you've been given? Right, well, like, man, if I was second in command of a great country, dude, I would, be, I would be running that show for the glory of Jesus Christ. It'd be awesome, right? Okay, well, what's God giving you right now? There might be something in the future. There will be something in the future. That'll be awesome. But what has God given you right now? And what is he preparing for you in the future? Be faithful with the little. Be faithful with the little. There's no such thing as big things with God. There is only faithfulness or disobedience. Luke 16, 10, Jesus says these exact words. One who is faithful in a very little will also be faithful with much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest with much. It is about your character. It is not about your circumstance. It is about your character. It is not about your situation. It is about your character. It is not about the thing that you've been given. And so the question is, what do you need to be faithful with? And are you being faithful with it? Everyone's been given influence. Everyone's been given some amount of authority. Everyone's been given your own life to manage, your own consciousness to control. How are you being faithful with those things? Maybe in the room and you're like, you know what? One day I want to be a missionary. I want to be a missionary in Africa and I'm going to go share the gospel. That's awesome. That is amazing. Does your lunch table know that you're a Christian? I want to be pastor one day. I want to teach the Bible to hundreds or thousands of people. That's great. Do you teach the Bible to yourself? I want to be on this worship team, man. I want to play music. I want to sing to God. I want to worship God. That's amazing. Do you worship God in private? Faithfulness is saying yes to God no matter where you're at. And Joseph did that. And now he's going to be faithful with the much that he's been given. In the kingdom, there is only faithfulness. What can you be faithful with today? This is a story of a servant. And honestly, servanthood is the highest position in the kingdom of God. Servanthood is the highest position in the kingdom of God. And Joseph continues to serve God lower and lower and lower and lower till he's in the lowest of the low for years of his life, only then at that moment to then be promoted. Servanthood is critical in God's kingdom. I've been throwing a lot of verses at you tonight, but this is one is super important. This is Philippians 2. If you don't believe what I just said, read this verse and think again. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Talk about a demotion there, going from God to man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. After the worst suffering imaginable, Jesus is promoted to the highest position of all time. After the worst suffering in human history, we see the most exalted and recognized and worshiped name in history. 
That's how it works in God's kingdom. And you would be a fool to think that you're not going to suffer like Jesus did. We have to know that as servants. At the end of the day, even though he's fully divine, God became a servant for you and me. And now there is an invitation through Jesus Christ, yes, to suffer, but to suffer with purpose. And this is where we're going to conclude. Too often, we're tempted to think, since I have pain in my life, since I'm in a season that is absolutely brutal, since I'm in the lowest of the low that I have ever been, since that is true, there can be no purpose that God has for me. Because I see suffering in other people's lives, there can't be any purpose for me or for them. And while it is true that even if you follow God throughout suffering, this is often the thing that we have to remind ourselves of. With God, your suffering is not purposeless. In your pain and difficulty, uh, your pain is not useless. In the moments of pain, in the moments of struggle, God is preparing you for something more. I'm not saying following a Christian means that you won't end up in a few prisons, so to speak. What I am saying is that there is a purpose with God. When you follow God, there is an inherent purpose and value for your life. When you believe and know that Jesus Christ is Lord, you have to understand that he is the one who is refining you. He is the one who is making you look more and more like him, not despite difficulty, but through difficulty. And until you understand that, until you really believe that, until you get comfortable with that uncomfortable truth, your life is always going to feel a little out of sorts. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is how it's supposed to be. And only with God can your pain be turned into something beautiful. 11 years, years brought away from his family. And now he's watching people down, down, bow down before him, thinking all those things, all those promises of God may actually be true after all, but not just in my timing, in his timing. It's the main idea. God exalts his servants in his time for his glory. God exalts his servants in his time in his glory. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be a servant. Be humble. Don't look to promote yourself. God will do that in his time for his purposes. And the higher you climb in the kingdom of God, the more you're going to have to serve. And that's what Joseph is doing here. God prepared him for years, wrongfully accused, only to be vindicated, not to rule evilly, but to rule in a good and godly and holy way. Be a servant, advance the kingdom. Don't look for your glory. Don't worry about the approval of man. Trust in God's timing. Trust even when it's hard. Point to God no matter what. Let's pray together. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for this night. I pray for the people who are in the midst of this difficulty and they're in the middle of this thing that they're wrestling with. God, I pray that you would remind them that their pain isn't purposeless, that there is a value to their life and that there's joy that can be found in you. I pray that we would all be a living example of that truth today. God, I pray that you would continue to draw near to us, draw us closer to your son. And God, we're thankful for people in the room who are asking questions, wondering, what does this all mean? I pray that they would ask those questions and that we would rally around them to answer. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he's the picture 
more than Joseph, right? Better than Joseph, more infinitely different and holier than Joseph, right? Your son was the suffering servant, wrongfully accused, vindicated, and then promoted above everything else, God. That's you. Thank you for that truth. I pray that we would follow suit and we would serve. We would trust that you would promote us in your time for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.